This morning we're in Psalm 29 and in First Chronicles. And we're attempting to go through this, the scriptures in a chronological order. We pass into First Chronicles this morning, which repeat some of the events in Israel's history that were recorded in Second Samuel. We will also try to cover some psalms that are attributed to David, and most of those in his early years. And this morning we're going to look briefly at Psalm 29. So Psalm 29, and then we'll move into First Chronicles. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and, and Saron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. In the first uh, verses there, one and two, David uh, urges believers to give glory to the Lord. Peculiar that we have to be urged to give glory to the Lord. Glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord. In beauty and in holiness. Now, we try to structure our services around worship, around studying of the word, and prayer. That's the three main uh, focuses as we come together to worship. And But it says here, David does, that the Lord wants his people to be holy. Our God set a high standard, and he told us, be holy... For I am holy. Now you got to consider, could God ask us, his people, to be anything but holy? He can't. He's God. He's perfect. So, does God know we will sin? Yes, he knows we will sin. He knows we'll fall short. But, but God, he can't ask us to be less than holy. You know, what if God said, I want you to sin, but only occasionally? Uh, that'd be kind of empty. <laughs> God knows we fall short, though, and we do. But we have Jesus as our sacrifice for sin. And Jesus cleanses us to the point where it's as if we never sinned. Now, we remember our sins. I sure remember some of mine. Uh, but they're cast into a sea of forgetfulness. God chooses not to remember our sins. 
But God's standard remains holiness. And David, who also sinned greatly, tells us holiness is beautiful. And it is. And in verses 3 to 9 uh, through 9, they declared the strength of the voice of the Lord. In creation, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, let it be, and it was. Modern science likes to call that the Big Bang. (laughs) The voice of the Lord spoke creation. He spoke the worlds into existence. And it was God who created everything from nothing by his voice. And David concludes that God is king, and he is our strength. And yes, he is. And we are blessed to have the peace of God. And many times our peace comes right when you wouldn't expect it to come. It will come right in the midst of pain. It will come in the midst of sorrow, and God will give us a peace because he is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When I'm down and out, I know, I get that way occasionally, I will look and turn to the Psalms because the Psalms encourage us. And the the Psalm we just read is definitely an encouraging Psalm. Now I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles, in this chapter... Uh, David has been consolidating his power and authority there in Israel. He has surrounded himself with mighty men, men of valor, many of them great warriors. And some of those men fought against giants. Speaks of some of his men fighting against giants of Egypt. And they fought valiantly. And they fought against Israel foes. They fought against the Philistines and others. But I want us to look at an event in chapter 11 where David is overheard by his men. Overheard by three of his mighty men. These men that they've sang the praises of hear David, their leader, speak out loud about his longing for a drink of water from his childhood home of Bethlehem. So let's read 1 Chronicles eleven seventeen through 19. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So these three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. David sighs 
he kind of speaks out loud the longing of his heart. Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. Now, if you hear your anointed king and warrior, and you hear that he wants a drink of water, and this is the longing of his heart, it becomes a request that cannot be ignored if it's within your capacity to bring him this drink of water. Perhaps you've noticed that we meet the needs of those we love. If you love and respect someone, you want to be pleasing to them, and we give gifts. We prepare special meals. We give flowers and candy. My wife likes pedicures. Go figure. Why? I don't know. She likes them. We try to get her one now and again. <laughs> I like stir-fried rice and shrimp, and she'll occasionally fix that for me. So we kind of try to please each other. But David, he's heard. He's kind of thinking out loud. Oh, if I could have a drink of water from my boyhood home of Bethlehem, from that well that's at the city gate. Now, could David really taste the difference in the water from Bethlehem than the water from some flowing stream? Perhaps, I doubt it, but perhaps he could. But these three mighty men think David can taste the difference in this well and in this water. And these men risk their lives to break through the ranks of the Philistines indicating they had to fight their way to this Bethlehem well, and they draw water, and they bring it to David. David is overwhelmed by this. He's overwhelmed by the courage of his men that are under him that they would even dare to do such a thing. But David cannot drink the water. He can't drink that water that the men, his men have risked their lives to bring to him. I can be a little surly. You like that word, surly? In the mornings before my first cup of coffee. I'm particular about my coffee. I grind my own beans. I do, yeah. I like Peruvian or Colombian dark roast. Now, I put a touch of heavy whipping cream in my coffee. Just a touch. Not sweet creamers, not those coconut sweetie things, but uh, just a touch of heavy cream. And I do not consider pouring out that pot of coffee for a moment. In fact, you would have a battle on your hand if you tried to pour out my pot of coffee. But David, he will not drink that water that his men have risked their lives to bring him. And David, in an act of devotion to the Lord, pours out that water on the ground. 
You wonder, do these three mighty men understand? I think they did. And David said, I, I cannot drink this water. Shall I drink the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring this water to me? And his conclusion is, I can't do it. In Matthew 1040, there's one verse I'll read to you. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. If we only can give a cup of water in the name of the Lord, by no means will we lose our reward. Recently, we had a family from our church that went down to Guatemala and they helped drill a water well for a village there. Any and all who participated in this effort to give a village a well, just a, you know, a drink of water, they by no means will lose their reward. And David's three mighty men, they will re be rewarded by God for their courageous, unselfish deed. In the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, we have another pouring out of water, and it's poured out in the form of tears. So if you'll turn to Luke 7, we'll look at verses 36 through 50. Give you a moment to turn there. It's a little lengthy reading, and I want you to read along with me. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at the feet of Jesus behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has 
not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman who is anointing the feet of Jesus is not Mary of Mary and Martha fame. Mary will later anoint Jesus' feet also. But this, this woman comes to Jesus at the Pharisee's house. Now, in that culture, in that time, if you had a special spiritual rabbi or prophet that was coming to visit you, the whole community was invited. So this woman is not out of place. She's not barging in, not interrupting a private party. It was expected that everybody in the neighborhood would be there. This woman is thought to be a prostitute. But she definitely was a notorious sinner. She comes in with a flask of fragrant oil, stands behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. And she wipes them with her hair. And she also kisses Jesus' feet. A tremendous act of humility and also a costly act because Wealth could be measured in that time with fragrant oils and this kind of things. And she's no doubt breaking open some of her savings and pouring it upon Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee who invited Jesus, he is considering that this sinful woman is handling Jesus' feet. And he says, this man... Speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know that a sinful woman is touching him. Verse 40, it's interesting. Jesus answers the Pharisee's thoughts. The, the Pharisee did not, Simon did not speak this out loud. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say on, Jesus. A man had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, or 500 days of wages, and the other 50. The man owed the debt. He forgives both of the debtors. Simon, which of these debtors will love more? And he says, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said, you've rightly judged, Simon. And Jesus then looks at the woman, but he speaks to Simon. And it's critical to see this. He's looking at the woman and he says, Simon, you gave me no water for my feet when I came into your house. And by the way, that was a custom of any guest that you brought into your home. You were to 
give them water or have your servant girl wash their feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears. And she's wiped them with her hair. You did not give me the customary kiss of greeting. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And Jesus has openly chastised Simon for breaking the customs of Israel. And he does it right there in Simon's own home. But Jesus continues to speak to him. Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But your sins, Simon, because you were so unloving, so self-righteous, they remain. Jesus confirms this in verse 48 when he says, to her, your sins. He didn't say everybody's sins. He said he's talking to the woman. Your sins are forgiven. And all the honored guests begin to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? The Pharisees know only God can forgive sins. There was another occasion, you know the story of the paralytic that uh, is lowered down through the roof to Jesus and he tells him, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, but to show you that I, the son of man, have power to forgive sin, rise up and walk. He says, he verifies that he is the son of God by healing the man. But Simon and all the Pharisees that are now ready to judge Is this the Christ who forgives sins? And that's what they're judging. But to the former sinful woman, Jesus has a word. Your faith saved you. Go in peace. This woman, this sinful woman, is forgiven and she is saved by her humble act of faith in deep sorrow for her sins before Jesus. And she does it where? In the house of a self-righteous Pharisee. In this Pharisee's house, Jesus forgives sins of a repentant sinner. How about the Pharisees? How about them? Where did they stand? The fate of Simon, he's even mentioned by name, and his fellow Pharisees, well, we don't know the end of the story. It's undetermined. We don't know if they later came to their senses, asked God to forgive them of their sins, and hopefully they did ask God to forgive them, thus making Jesus the Son of God. We don't know how it ends. We're suspicious of how it ends, but we don't know for sure how it ends. Hopefully, they did repent. Repentance 
The goodness of God leads us to repentance. You ever thought that through a little bit? I do not have to continue to sin. I have repentance available to me. I can change direction. And that's all repentance means, is turning from this direction and going the other direction. That's all repentance is. And God, of course, forgiving us. But we don't have to continue down a path of sin. We are allowed to repent. A great blessing. Make sure you take advantage of it. Let me get you to stand. We'll close close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you were willing to allow Jesus to suffer the cross for our forgiveness. You were willing that Jesus should suffer, that we could have a relationship with you, a guiltless relationship with you because of Jesus and his substitutional death for us. We are grateful for that, Lord. We can live a glorious, forgiven life because of Jesus. And Lord, we too, like the Pharisees, realize that only God can forgive sins. But Lord, let us have the wisdom to at least turn to you and repent of our shortcoming, repent of missing the mark, repent of purposeful sin or accidental sin. You're so willing to forgive, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your cleansing of our hearts, Lord, through Jesus. And may we walk in the glorious, abundant life, not carrying any guilt. And thank you for not remembering our sins, but casting them far away from us as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are removed, and we thank you for that. We pray in your name, Jesus. The Lord.